0: I'm Richard Hollingham. Welcome to the Planet Earth podcast. And this time I'm in the Channel Islands where archaeologists are working to preserve the most important Neanderthal settlement in Western Europe. This project's received an urgency
1: grant from the Natural Environment Research Council
0: and I'll be visiting the
1: site. That flat surface on the top there is where somebody's hit it down there and it's broken off. We'll also find out about life in Neanderthal Europe.
2: You might have spotted some woolly rhinoceros and mammoth... And not far behind them, hopefully, were our Neanderthal hunters.
0: And meet the next generation of archaeologists.
2: I would think it's quite interesting looking at all the different types of tools and stuff that they did. Now
0: I'm just clambering over the rocks at La Cotte, which is in the southwest of Jersey. And it's a spectacular landscape. Over to my right is almost a white, long, sandy beach that runs right across the bay out to the headland. And then behind me, these enormous granite cliffs, almost like towers, coming out straight from the uh, rocky shoreline. And Matt Pope is here from University College London. Now Matt, this in archaeological terms is world class really. Yeah, this is one
3: of a very limited number of sites in the prehistoric world that document long-term occupations by ancient humans. So when you say ancient humans, you're talking about Neanderthals? Yeah, at this site we're dealing exclusively with Neanderthals. But it's part of a wider pattern that we see over the world, sometime after 600,000 years ago, where humans start, on a long-term basis, to colonise
0: fixed places in landscapes. And usually that means caves. Now, we're looking out over the English Channel under a very heavy cloud today. And if we go back, I don't know, 60,000 years, 100,000 years, this wouldn't have been water here.
3: No, if we're going back into the last ice age, into the Devensian, the sea level would have been much lower. And what we would have been looking at is not a flat, featureless plain, but a landscape a bit like the one we can see here a landscape of granite bluffs, steep-sided granite ravines, all feeding in to a river valley system that ultimately feeds into the large English Channel River that would have run down the middle of the land under the sea today.
0: Now, we've sat down on uh, one of these very slippery granite blocks at at the base of the cliff, but the area you're particularly interested in is, is higher up, this area of caves and partially collapsed caves as well. What sort of things have been found here? Because this is famous in archaeological circles.
3: It's an internationally famous site because we have almost constant occupation by Neanderthals through the entire variety of climates, except those of most extreme cold. We have early Neanderthals, dating from somewhere around 220,000 years ago, through to, to say, 60,000 years ago, occupying the site in one sequence of deposits and there we find them alongside not just stone tools which they're leaving in large numbers incredibly large numbers here but the remains of the animals that they were presumably hunting and consuming we also have evidence for fire we have some of the earliest evidence for sustained fire use in one location in northern europe here as well so this isn't just a series of hunting sites a place that they were just frequenting for one-stop hunts or overnight This is long-term occupation. It's led to deposits that are incredibly rich in occupation debris. Burnt bone, burnt stone,
0: flint tools, the debris of their day-to-day occupation. The caves can only be reached at low tide, and even then it's a difficult scramble across the rocks. At the top, Matt and his colleagues are scraping away at the ground with small archaeologist trowels. Let's have a
1: quick chat. Yeah.
0: I need to know how
3: far up I think there. to take it to there so we 've come back off this edge here
1: my name's dr martin bates i 'm from the University of Wales, Trinity St David in Lampeter, and i 'm a geoarchaeologist, and my role here has been to undertake the cleaning and assessment of what is actually preserved in this particular part of the site.
0: and we clambered up
1: the rocks
0: from the, the sea below. And you come across the, the slippery granite with these towering cliffs above us, an arch of a partially collapsed cave, and then there's this almost face really of of sandy
1: material. This is what you're you're scraping away at. Yes, that's right. What we're looking at in, in front of us is probably a face that was cut by the sea, eroding back into these deposits. Sometime between, let's say, 6,000 years ago and today, the power of the sea is, is immense here, and the sea has just cut right the way back into these deposits and just left fragments of older sediments, dating to the last cold period, the last um, ice age, if you like, just adhering to the edges of the cave. So you can just turn to our left, and you can see the, the, the sheer wall of, of, of granite rising... Um, 30 metres above our head, and we're literally within a a couple of metres of that. So this is just plastered on the edge. Wow, in the same unit? Yeah, same unit.
2: Is
1: that a No, no, it's flint.
0: So what is this we're looking at? It looks just like a a piece of flint.
1: It's a piece of flint that's been um, chipped off a core. You can see the place... That flat surface on the top there, somebody's hit it down there and it's broken off.
0: So this is only about the size of your thumbnail here, yep. Martin. Yep. And how do you know it's not just a little
1: bit of flint? How do you know that's been made? Well, flint doesn't occur naturally here, so any bit of flint that's on this side must have been brought in by somebody uh, for doing something. And the fact that it's got this characteristic... Boulder surface there suggests that this is a bit of debris from making something else, probably.
0: So somebody made that. What, at least 50,000 years ago?
1: Yes, I mean we don't really know the age of these deposits at the moment, but we think they're somewhere between 100 and between 80 and 100,000 years old. Is our guess at the present time?
2: My name is Kevin Rubens, and I'm a PhD student at the University of Southampton.
0: When did you first come here, and what did you, what did you think when you first came here? Because this is pretty incredible to me, that you can just scrape away at this and find something that was probably chipped away by Neanderthals.
2: Yes, exactly. It's a very impressive site. I came here for the first time two summers ago, and Lakota Saint-Brelard is a site that everybody learns about as an undergraduate. Everybody knows it. It's such an important site for megafauna hunting. Everybody knows the story that Neanderthals used to drive mammoths off the cliff here, um, and they have huge uh, bone heaps under the arch. So it's a very well-known site. But then if you come here and you have to walk on the beach on those pebbles you have to climb around and then you come around the corner and you can see the scale of it and the massive amount of sediment and rubble that is still here uh, it's very impressive and it's very difficult to describe because even if you see pictures you can't imagine the scale
0: and matt you're scraping away this uh, this is it sand you've got scraping off it's, here it's there's sand and a small amount of clay within this yeah you're scraping away beside Karen here. Now, Karen mentioned, uh, and this is, if you read any uh, books on Neanderthals, this is the reason this site comes up that they drove these animals over the edge of the cliff, and there's been lots of bones found here. You, you don't necessarily accept that, that that's the case.
3: At the moment, we really want to put that hypothesis to the test. It's such a compelling image, it's so ingrained in the archaeological literature. And it's really important, if Neanderthals were genuinely getting together, organising a game drive, driving them over the edge of this cliff, and down here that's a very organised pattern of behaviour, it's very specific. There's some reasons to consider that we need to look at that again. The work that we're doing out in the wider landscape is showing this isn't just a desolate flat surface at the end of the Pleistocene. Actually, this site is commanding a really complex landscape of dead-end valleys, granite bluffs, perfect intercept hunting territory.
0: So, rather than drive animals over the edge of the cliff, if we look at what what is now sea, this was going to be valleys, and there was, a, I think, a, a, a small river link where the, the channel is is now. So. It, Animals could have been driven into here rather than over the top. Yeah, Lacote, and
3: as part of our reconstruction through the offshore mapping, sits right at the head of a dead-end valley, a dead-end valley that funnels up from the wider plains of the English Channel region. So it's perfect for intercept hunting. There's another reason why we think we need to be sceptical and readdress the game-drive hypothesis. And that's because it's based on the idea that this was an open ravine which it is, that, is now. Which it is now. But as you can see, we've got this remnant of arch there. And there's a lot of reasons for suspecting that, in fact, this was an enclosed cave system. At least part of it, maybe all of it, at the times the Neanderthals were occupying it. They could have driven them off cliffs elsewhere, but not necessarily down into this exact ravine. If that's the case, those bone elements would have been dragged into the cave. So even if you've got the game drive hypothesis, those big piles of mammoth bone, Mammoth skulls, mammoth ribs, mammoth tusks, can't be in situ. They can't be in the position where, where they died. They've been moved.
0: And, that, and that's important behaviour. So these are all things that you want to find out. It strikes me that you're almost starting again on some of these, these ideas or starting a new era of investigating this area.
3: Yeah, the site is so complex and it's been um, investigated over a very long period of time. The first excavation is really beginning in 1905. With some of those units we do need to begin again because the records that were made were so poor that we simply have a collection of artefacts with no context, no idea of their dating, no idea of the associated paleo-environmental material and there we do have to begin again.
0: This is the Planet Earth podcast from the Neanderthal Caves at Lacot in Jersey. You can see pictures of the work here on our Facebook page although it is difficult to capture the scale of the site. As well as the team here, I've also been speaking to Olga Finch, the curator of archaeology for Jersey Heritage. I asked her about the extent of the collection of artefacts from La Cotte.
2: The first flint tools were found in 1881 and the site has been subject to a series of excavations pretty much on and off since that time and the last big excavations were the Cambridge excavations in the 1960s. So between... All of that work, we've generated a massive collection of lithics, of stone tools, and faunal material. There's probably about 250 uh, stone tools. This new team have come with new vision for the collection. We know that the majority of the objects are, were processed sort of 30 years ago and they're not very accessible. They're there in boxes, but in terms of carrying out modern analytical studies, there's a lot of work still to do. So future generations can come along and help us study and learn a lot more about the first people of Jersey.
0: And what were those first people like, do you think? It's difficult today when you look out... Standing on the beach, you can see the waves, the grey sky, a few rocks, that's it. This was so different.
2: Yeah, and I guess for people living on a small island, it is a big sort of leap of the imagination to try and get back there a quarter of a million years ago. We would have been, we're on a nice sort of sandy beach now, looking across to Lakote and all the high ground and the rocks of the bay around us. It would have been no sea because we were in the Ice Age. So we were in looking out here, sort of a vast coastal plain of tundra environment. We might have spotted some woolly rhinoceros and mammoth and not far behind them hopefully were our Neanderthal hunters heading here and heading, we know, at least, to the site of Lakota Saint Prelade. That's our kind of current sort of thinking. Now obviously the new team are doing a lot of Modern surveys, particularly the seabed, that's already, I know it's early days, but that's already revealing new and putting a whole new light on actually that when the sea wasn't here, it wasn't just a flat land, there are areas showing up of valley systems. So we're getting to see beneath the sea, which is fantastic.
0: There's this this reinterpretation, this rethinking of what it was like there, how they lived, and perhaps how they hunted as well.
2: Yeah, I think the last sort of major focus on the site was 30 years ago. Techniques were very different then. The interpretation was very different then. And we've all been left with this idea that the mammoths were driven over the top, dropped down the great heights, butchered, giving us these bone heaps. But... The team now are bringing with them a whole new sort of vision for the site. They're challenging some of the interpretations. So for me, it's very exciting because it's my job to take what Matt and the team are doing and then interpret that for the islanders through exhibitions, through school projects. And so it's really nice to have it all sort of challenged, refreshed and a a new vision really for the, the site.
0: Olga Finch. Well, Olga mentioned she works with local schools here in Jersey, and I joined her with the Year 4 class at nearby Le Moy Primary.
2: Now, this morning, I've brought along some of the objects that were found during the excavations at Le We looked at the photographs, didn't we, of some of the early excavators. And, of course, we know that there was a famous excavator in the 1960s. Prince Charles came, didn't he? Who would like to tell me what they think this is? A shoe. A shoe? No? Try again. Spine? A spine? <gasps> a tooth. A tooth. Very good. Well spotted. Now, does that look like a tooth that you have? No. No? no, 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 no. Right. Well, this tooth belongs to a mammoth. And the children at
0: Lemoy are rapidly becoming experts on Neanderthal Jersey.
2: Sam, Megan, Alicia, Katie...
0: Okay, now, who could tell me what it used to be like here? Yes, that's Megan.
2: It didn't have any sunny weather like it is now. The mammoths needed all of their big fur to keep them warm.
0: So there were mammoths here?
2: And arctic foxes, animals that like cold.
0: And Sam, what was it like, do you think? Um, What was it like for the Neanderthals?
2: They could walk across from France to Jersey and Jersey to France, backwards and forwards. And then chase the mammoths off the cliff, and so it'd be really cold? what do they
0: look like because they didn't look like us?
2: They had big nostrils so that they could warm up the cold air and lots of hair so they'd keep warm.
0: What do you think it would have been like to live in in their cave?
2: um, it would probably be quite cold and like a damp feeling, and then you'd be probably quite frightened when like say your like dad or something went over and hunt.
0: So do any of you want to become archaeologists now?
2: I want to become an archaeologist. I would think it's quite interesting looking at all the different types of tools and stuff that they did. It must be, like, quite airy going into the case, but I think I love it.
0: Pupils at Lemoy Primary School. So what was this site like when Neanderthals lived here? It's a question that Matt Pope has thought a lot about. Of course, the thing that is
3: really captivating about the site are the piles of fauna, piles of mammoth and piles of butchered rhinoceros, and trying to envisage what the site was like then. Now, we're pretty sure it was still enclosed, or at least partially enclosed at that stage. And also, the site would have been much fuller. And so, you're within a cave environment with a solid roof. They're bringing, we think, in. These elements of mammoth skull, mammoth ribs, into the site and they're carrying out napping there. We also know that there's ash and burnt bone as well. So at this stage, if you're imagining it, we're in a very cold environment, we know there's a lot of lurce blowing around, so it's quite arid, sea levels are very low. They found an area of shelter here that they're using for the sharing of meat, for the butchering of animals, um for making flint tools, and they're also burning material, potentially bone.
0: So it's it's a community. Here.
3: It's, yeah, it's an occupation. It's, 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 a, it's a, a place where they're settling and committing to for long periods of time. Um, they're bringing material in here for such long periods of time that it's not just one generation, it's generation after generation coming back to this single fixed place in the landscape.
0: That sounds very much like a community today, a village today. I mean, you could go across the, the headland here to a small village on Jersey, more or less the same. Mm. Absolutely. Numbers
3: are probably going to be very low. We're dealing with an extended family. But if you look at the archaeological record before here, if you go back beyond a million years, you'll find piles of food refuse and piles of stone tools, but they're in open landscape context. They're not places where people are living. Here we've got evidence of people actually settling down, occupying
0: homes. I mean, just being here and just talking to... To the three of you, you could sense the, the sort of excitement, of, and you've been finding things. We've been here, you know, between the tides, mm. three hours or so, and yet you found a couple of pieces of flint. You just found a little tooth. You know, it, it's exciting stuff. Well, it's an incredibly rich site, and that's why.
3: You know our excitement, we hope, can now translate into preserving it for, for future generations. And that's going to take, take a lot of work. And this is just the first stage in stabilising the site and working with the site owners to effect a long-term preservation solution
0: here. Matt Pope. And that's the Planet Earth podcast from the Natural Environment Research Council. Don't forget there are photos on our Facebook page. And for the latest from the natural world, do visit Planet Earth online. I'm Richard Hollingham from Lacotte in Jersey.